evening, my undead fiends, and welcome to this most special episode of Zombie Fishbowl. I am your zombie from another mombie, Melanie, out here rotting in this burning wasteland that is California. And with me is my ever-pleasant, palaverous, cadaverous Danielle out in the haunted isles of the UK. Hola! This, <laughs> this week, if you can't tell by my ever-so-dramatic tone, we are doing... Halloween! Halloween, Halloween. Oh, I better not. I better Halloween. not. No, we don't. We can't. We can't pay them. The history, the traditions, and some good old fun little tales. But before we get into it, do we have any updates? I have an update, Melanie. <laughs> um, I would like to launch a competition. Our first, our very first competition, since we're now legal and we turned 18 last week, we can now legally sell our souls, right? Something like that? <laughs> okay, so now we're going to sell out a little bit because we desperately want some um, uh, a positive reinforcement. So <laughs> from now until the 16th of November, everybody that writes a review anywhere that our podcast is hosted so we're talking podbean itunes or is it called apple music or apple podcast apple, apple podcast yeah um uh spotify i don't think you can do it on spotify but anywhere you can do reviews and there's a, a new place we're on called pod chaser pod chaser yeah and i believe you can leave reviews there you can also check out some pictures of us it's quite cute okay so like search our names you'll find us and write us a nice review um or not every review i don't care just as long as it has words not just star ratings yeah um everyone will be then entered into a competition to win a super special spooky prize mm. um and it is relevant to our podcast like when you find out what it is you'll definitely get the reference yeah <laughs> it's pretty obvious so we're gonna give you till the 16th of november to write your review and pop it on any of the places that you listen and um as a special sort of as as an uh, and also everybody that's already left a review don't worry your name will be entered also we're not going to leave you out because we love you yeah and i'm super jealous whoever wins this uh i, I want it <laughs> <laughs> We might buy multiple just to have some for ourselves. Oh, yeah. Aww. Well, that so, sounds exciting. And I'm excited. Are you yeah, excited? Yeah, so get reviewing. 16th of November. Do it. Yeah, we're, give, we're giving you plenty of time to do it. So do it. Yes, um, please. <laughs> so my housekeeping is really somewhat kind of a little bit more of an apology. I just want to be a little... I just want to apologize for being a little bit inconsistent with the social media because um, Danielle, she puts in so much hard work editing these episodes. I don't do much. So I'm in charge of the social media and I can get a little distracted. And this last month I've been trying to pump up some enthusiasm for the zombie walk that I'm doing out in Hollywood, but I'm doing it today. <laughs> so that, that means that half, at least a third of my attention can come back to doing the social media. I know you missed me. Okay. I get it. I, I'm feeling it. So get off my back. I'm coming back. That's okay, Melanie. We forgive you. 
<laughs> there's been a couple times I've popped on um just yeah. to, to add something but that's not a reflection of me being passive aggressive like oh Melanie hasn't done this so I have to do it it's more along the lines of oh Melanie hasn't done this I'll, I'll do it this time <laughs> it's the same thing just like a friendlier tone I get it well kind of it's not <laughs> like oh I have an opportunity to do it because I know that it won't be duplicated kind of thing so yeah yeah and the whole reason why I ducked out of the social media thing was because I didn't find it very fun because I found it obligatory. Yes. But if I see it and I want to do something, I'll do it because that is fun. So. Yeah, but I mean, it's nuts, like running my own personal pages, the the zombie fishbowl pages and the, the zombie walk pages. I'm just like, who am I? What page am I on? Yeah, I know. Who, who am I tweeting is what? Yes. And when you like a tweet as the wrong person and you have to send it to yourself so that you can like it as yourself. Yeah. (laughs) It's too much, man. (laughs) All right. So with that out of the way, on to The Purge. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess I'll start with this one. Basically, I I just kind of feel bad because I've been really really emotional on on the purges and i know it probably doesn't seem like i've been overly emotional emotional but it's more than i would genuinely like to do with what i perceive as a crowd so i love you all and i'm sorry if i've been a little intense lately things are getting better uh things are always getting better and i'm gonna try and not make that so much what i do here and i think we both sort of discussed that maybe we want to make the purge a little bit more of a positive shift instead of like dwelling on what's bothering us maybe dwelling on what we're grateful for yeah so I was going to say building on what you said I have started to prescribe to the idea of using positive language as a way to help with you know general well-being and although it is fun to have a right good moan and it is fun to have a you know just be you know grumpy and cantankerous and and British Sometimes sometimes it really can affect you. And I think that I noticed last week when I couldn't even bring myself to bring up more negative things because I'd felt so crappy about what I'd been researching. I sort of realized that I'd put myself in a negative place right from the get go. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, when I, when Melanie and I started this conversation earlier, I said that maybe that there's an, uh, there's something in turning the purge more into something of um I don't want to say like affirmation or gratitude or something like that. And I kind of said, well, what about a binge and purge? Like take in positive energy and expel negative energy. Yeah. Binge on nice things and purge the bad things. So the breath will be just as much a part of the, the in breath as it is the out breath. Yeah. So when people are listening and I know you breathe along when you breathe in think nice things so think about all of the like sugar-coated cupcakes and glitter that you want to to think about and then keep that inside your body as you push out all of the um smoky dusty nasty Toxic. toxic stuff yeah yeah um so it becomes more of a um an inhalation of positivity and a expulsion of gas (laughs) it's like drinking a delicious soda and then burping out the uh, unhealthy carbonates yeah except that there's everything's unhealthy about soda (laughs) (laughs) 
but it tastes good. Unless it has botanicals. Ah, fuck that. Like a dandelion and burdock. (laughs) So, um, um, one one more thing I wanted to bring up, and I guess this will be a bit of my positive aspect of the purge. My daughter's here with us. Say hi, Willow. Hi. Hi. Basically, my son's at a baseball game. She did not want to go, and I don't blame her. So, she's here with me. Um, and so she may pip up every once in a while, uh, just sort of be braced for that tiny, adorable little voice. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not going to stop us talking about all of the, um, nitty gritty of Halloween because Willow knows all the words, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, no, she's cool. She's cool, bro. She's cool. (laughs) Um, let me see if I can think of something positive. I'm literally fresh out of the shower. So my hair is still wet and smells like roses because I use like a, you know, have you ever heard of these face sprays? Is it like a spritz? It's like a spritz for your face. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, I hate it on my face. Like it makes me like just go like I really don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) But I figured if it's like, if it's designed to go in your face where your eyes are, yeah. And your mouth, it must not be toxic and it must not have like loads of chemicals in it, right? And it's from a place that does like uh cruelty free and um you know, really nice, you know, organic things. I don't want to say the name of the brand, but it's it's a nice brand that is um ethical. Yeah. So I figured I'll start spraying it on my hair instead. So I'll still get the effect of the smell. Yeah. Uh, but it won't be like in my face. So I spray it like on my damp hair. So, and actually three times since I've been starting to do that, someone's given me a hug and said, Oh, you smell nice. Nice. So, you know, it's gotta be something. It's nice to be complimented on your smell. So my, my positive thing is when I breathe in, I'm going to breathe in all of the different toiletries (laughs) (laughs) that I am fragranced with currently. Lovely. Absolutely lovely. <laughs> yes. And most of them are rose scented because I find rose very, um, I don't know, I just like it because it's a combination of traditional old lady and also kind of funky if you mix it with some vanilla. Honestly. Yeah. yeah. Well, did you know that statistically men are attracted to the smell of food while women are attracted to the smell of flowers? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's why uh particularly like in uh, you know Claire's or like teenage based sort of stores their perfumes for girls or body sprays for girls tend to smell more like food because it's more attractive to men or boys Ew. yeah um we put on what's most likely going to attract the opposite sex um but yeah I used, to, I used to wear perfume that smelled like freshly cut grass nice Nice. Who's that attractive to? <laughs> Gardeners. Sheep. Yes. <laughs> Clouds and goats. Goats. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. All right. So shall we breathe in? Yes. And are you ready? Yes. Three, two, one. I smell good. (laughs) I feel like I've just grown an inch. Yeah. My back did crack. Nice. Mine too. 
All right. So Halloween. Mm -hmm. Do you want to start this week, Danielle? I will just give us a quick definition, yeah? Yeah. Okay. It's not really quick, but it's quickish. I've not, like, just gone, it's the 31st of October. Over to you, Melanie. I actually have gone <laughs> through it. Um, so Halloween, or Halloween. <laughs> I love that. Halloween. Halloween. It doesn't, you know, it's up to you how many ins you put in there. It's a contraction of Hallow's Even or Hallow's Evening is what that Halloween is. is. Or, or also known as All Hallows Eve or All Saints Eve. Mm -hmm. It's all the same thing. Is an annual celebration observed in several countries in varying ways on the 31st of October. I did try to look for a list of the countries that observe it and there just really isn't one. So I imagine that there's countries that don't observe it at all, but still check or treat. So it, look, most of the definitions just said several countries. Yeah. Anyway, so it's um, on the 31st of October, the eve of the Western Christian feast of All Hallows Day. The word hallow comes from the old English Halloween, which means saints. So mm. Halloween even or Hallows Eve Halloween. So it went, yeah. So it went from yeah. Halloween even to Hallows Eve to Halloween. Yeah. It begins the three day observance of All Hallowtide which finishes on the 2nd of November on All Souls Day and recognises the time of the year dedicated to remembering the dead and in the Christian observation of it, including the saints or the hallows, um, the martyrs and the faithful departed. Mm -hmm. So the whole festival, if you will, consists of the 31st of October, which is Halloween or All Hallows' Eve, the 1st of November, which is All Saints' Day, the 2nd of November, which is All Souls Day, not to be confused with Dia de los Muertos. That's a different holiday from the same sorts of traditions. But I don't talk at all about Dia de los Muertos. I don't know if you do, Melanie. I didn't, but I can. Um, I started to and then I realized that's a whole other barrel of traditions. So yeah. because we didn't talk about Dia de los Muertos, I'd I think maybe we'll leave it for next year and we'll invite someone on from Mexico. Hey, there we go. Yeah, that was my idea. So um, I don't know very many Mexicans around me, but I'm sure, <laughs> you, <laughs> I'm sure you have a few friends. I'm sorry, that was really funny to me. There's <laughs> literally no Mexicans here. <laughs> I, miss you. I miss you guys. Oh, I do. We would got loads of beautiful wonderful mexican people out here so i'm sure they're in the cities they're just not here in you know i don't blame them the weather shit why would they want to be here <laughs> <laughs> they're smarter than that now we have um we have like different cultures but yeah Me mexico's not and so i wanted somebody i think that has some roots in the mexican um you know has some mexican heritage to to come on and talk to us about Dia de los Muertos because that is yeah, a really, yeah. really fun holiday. So it's amazing. It's gorgeous. But it isn't quite Halloween. No. But it is Halloween mixed with Christian beliefs. So you know, it's very, very similar to what we're going to talk about today. Do you want me to go into sort of like uh, the beginnings of it, or do you want to do that? I'd love to hear what you got, and uh, if there's anything that 
I'm going to throw in, I'll just kind of like raise my finger and be like, I want to talk about this thing. Okay, brilliant. That sounds good. We both basically researched Halloween, so you can you can probably tell that we've, we overlap in our research quite a lot this week. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be a little bit more like, oh, this is a fun fact kind of thing. So hopefully yeah. it goes well. I'm sure it will. So I've got here um, in Britain. So I'm going to be very specific to Britain. Uh, first of all so in britain halloween is part of a series of celebrations and festivals falling at the end of october into november as we pass from summer into winter when the days start getting shorter darker and colder these autumn traditions mark the end of the harvest season and are a way to respect and honor the dead but what have the dead got to do with it right what what well (laughs) It's believed that at this time of year, when the days are getting shorter and the harvest is ended, that the boundary between the world of the living and the world of the dead was at its thinnest. Therefore, the dead could wander the earth and visit the living for good and for bad. Mm-hmm. So to the pagans or Celts or who, however you want to refer to the folk of the British Isles, there is contention over the uh, terminology I won't go into that today because that's too negative. We're doing nice things. <laughs> so for the, the native British, this time of year was referred to as Sawin. It's spelt S-A-M-H-A-I-N. You want to say Samhain. You want to say Samhain so bad. So badly, but it's a Gallic word or Celtic word, depending on your definition. And it's Sawin. That's how it's pronounced. If you've ever wondered, if you've only ever seen it spelled, it's Samhain. This time of year was for honouring the ancestors and welcoming spirits into this world. Food offerings were left for them in the hope that they would appreciate this gesture and in the hope that this respect would result in good fortune and specifically that the spirits of both the dead departed and of nature spirits would protect their cattle and keep them safe over the long, cold winter. This is because the festival celebrated a successful harvest and marked the time when the cattle were led back from their summer pastures and were prepared to hunker down for the winter. Do you have anything about those little sprites and spirits that wander about? Well, so, Samhain is a time for not only, you know, being grateful for the harvest that you've just collected and and preparing for the long cold winter ahead it was also a time for magic divination celebration community and intention and like you mentioned it was a liminal time so it was a, a time when that veil was was very clo- very um thin and not only would you have the the spirits of the departed whether malicious or kind you also had what they called the ishi or the spirits or fairies. Some folklore think that they may have been like fairy or pagan gods, but um, you know they, they were just mainly referred to as the Ishi. That's another one that's spelled funny and uh, pronounced differently. Mm. You want to say A-O-S-C. It's A-O-S-S-I, but it's Ishi, apparently. <laughs> I've Googled it. Yeah. Google's never led me wrong. And these these fairies, these spirits, they needed to be placated with with breads and sweets, um, with with uh, usually like a sugar water or or sweet liquor, good ways to sort of placate these spirits. And there are some good ones. So first we have the puka. 
Now, puka are these small impish-like creatures covered in hair or fur. They could either be menacing or beneficent. Um, one fairy mythologist said, notions respecting it are vague. Uh, old people used to say that the pukas were very numerous long ago, were wicked-minded, black-looking, bad things that would come in the forms of wild cults with chains hanging about them. These are also known as uh, shapeshifters, so they could change their shape, sh- shape. They could change their shape to dog, cat, pig, um, cow. A lot of pig. There's a lot of pig shaping. Well, well, because um, in Britain at the time, boars were very, very numerous. Oh, so that would explain it. Yeah. Also goats or hares and um, horses. They would also sometimes take human forms, but include various animal features. So you could see a a normal looking person, but with like pig ears. Nice. You know, or a slight, slight turn to the nose that made it look piggish. Um, I haven't gathered whether they are good or bad yet. Are they good or bad? They're, they're not sure. Like many of the fae folk, they have a proclivity for mischief. Ah. But sometimes they could bring you um, good luck. They're commonly said to entice humans to take a ride on their back, giving the rider a wild and terrifying journey before dropping the unlucky person back at the place from which they were taken. This is really common in a lot of fairy tales. Um, but these were creatures that were known to come out in abundance during Samhain. Right. Yeah, and so mainly they were just trying to fuck with you, um, kidnap you for short periods of time, but drop you back. So they were at least polite in that regard, whereas a lot of other fey folk would just kind of take you and you'd never be seen again. So there's all kinds of um, sort of spiritual hooliganism going on uh, during the Samhain. So you can imagine people want to that don't want to go for a wild ride on their back um, will probably want to, to do something to protect themselves, hence the, the tradition of lighting a big old bonfire. Well, from what I could tell, the bonfire wasn't so much about protecting them from the spirits. The the costume wearing was more for protecting them from spirits. Uh, no, so, yeah, yeah, there's both, because the bonfires are for warding off evil definite as okay. well. Yeah. So it's like um, they're used as a guide for wandering spirits and they keep evil spirits away. Okay. So before we get too confusing for the uh, for the listener, Selwyn tradition, before I want to get into two more spirits, what are, what are the traditions of Samhain? So they have the big bonfire and there are a few different reasons why they would like such a bonfire, right? Yeah. So I was trying to seamlessly segue into that (laughs) (laughs) so um okay so every each village would have their own bonfire and it would sort of be like located in a strategic convenient location for this sacred fire to be lit and over the night of the 31st of october it would slowly burn out um, and then people would take the embers from this fire to their homes and light their home hearth with that fire and that would never go out so they kind of like the olympic torch kind of thing so you'd always keep your embers of your fire going in your home Mm -hmm. through the winter months and you would initiate this lighting with the embers from this sacred bonfire that was lit on the 31st of october so Mm -hmm. 
Actually, I, I, I didn't know that, and I thought that was really cool. Well, yeah, and in some traditions, what they would do is they would, on October 31st, before the, the bonfire celebration, and they'd go out and collect their final harvests, right? Throughout that day, they would let their bon- their um, hearth fire burn out on its own, which is not something that you usually do. You know, you yeah, put it out. Yeah, yeah. So they would let it burn out on its own. So that way, after the celebration, they would bring it in with a totally new fire that is, um, you know, it, it just feels more organic that way. Instead of having put out that fire for a specific reason, they let it go out because that's the end of the season. Samhain yeah. is also known as like the Celtic New Year. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a time for renewal, for rebirth, for for this this new year. And the best way to start that is with a communal fire. And I think that might be where we kind of get our New Year's resolutions from, because during the Samhain, people thought it was the perfect time of year for not only divination, but hatching ideas, setting mm-hmm. out on journeys and adventures and basically um, coming up with plans. Because apparently it was a good time of year for... Uh, it was kind of a blessed time of year and you could make those plans and they were more likely to be successful um, because of the spiritual nature of the time of year. So I wonder if that's actually where we get our New Year's resolution tradition mm-hmm. from is the Samhain idea that if you want to plan something for the new year, you do it now. Well, and it also makes sense, too, because you're gearing up for a winter. You can't harvest. You can't do much in that winter time. Mm-hmm. So you have a good like two months to plan the shit out of your next year. So it makes sense that that's like the perfect time to make those in- to make those intentions and to-, to have them bear fruit because you've spent all this time genuinely focused on that. Yeah, I just kind of thought it was fun that one of them was um, to go on an adventure. Like, yeah. Like I don't really think that um October 31st is the best day of the year to start out on an adventure but hey ho <laughs> if that's what I'm more thinking around the you know May when there's yeah. nice and warm <laughs> so springtime you know but you, I suppose you could plan your adventure you start putting your to-do list together yeah Exactly. Yeah. Write, writing your lists, <laughs> checking your uh, inventory. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm, I've, I've just made this decision right now in my head. I failed all of my New Year's resolutions this year, so I'm gonna have a Samhain resolutions. Fuck yeah. Yeah. So I'm gonna, um, on the eve of Halloween, I'm gonna write a list of my uh, Samhain intentions. Yes. Let's all do it. I Let's all do it. And let's like hold crystals and burn incense and oh, let's have a bonfire. Yeah. Or at least, yeah, just have like a small fire and drink and uh, really just have fun and believe in what you're going to do in the next year. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Oh, I'm up for it. I'm totally up for it. Would you like to know some other like fun things you can do at Samhain? Well, yeah, but I do also want to mention that they did potentially sacrifice animals in those bonfires as well so oh yeah we won't do that (laughs) yeah yeah there's a lot of animal sacrifice actually if when we sort of talk about later we're probably going to talk about mummers and we're going to talk about some other things later on there's a lot of animal sacrifice going on there let's just say that if there's a fire there's probably a goat in it yeah or you know what we could do instead of sacrificing animals if you're having like chicken or something for for dinner. If you're eating meat near dinner, just throw a little piece in the fire. 
just sort of like just as part of the thing why not uh, unfortunately there's never any meat in my house so <laughs> well clearly you're gonna have to eat some meat on Halloween um, clearly not <laughs> but yeah um I'll think of something throw, throw some tofurkey <laughs> <laughs> some fake, fake ham did we both say fake ham at the same time oh my god we did oh my god oh my glob that's so good oh it is good it is good um actually there's a few like uh i don't know that's what i was gonna say um did you did you get that thing about a frictionized wheel to make the fire in there uh so so i read in one of the things that when they you know how each town has their own community fire that they would ignite this fire with this giant wheel to symbolize the sun yeah, that's in the Wicker Man. Okay. okay. Yeah, so if you want to see how that works, watch the Wicker Man. By the way, like, the Samhain festival kind of is what is going on in the Wicker Man, but the Wicker Man is like a, you know, gothic cinema version of it. Yeah, yeah. But basically, that all of those things that you're seeing in that film, not the Nick Cage remake, but the original one with Ned, Edward Woodward and Christopher Lee, that one, it has um, all the things that it's showing are actual real folk traditions. Yes. And they happen throughout the year at different times of year. There's loads of them. But some of them are based on the Samhain ones. Yeah. So I think the maybe the lighting of the bonfire with this wheel is something that happens maybe at multiple folky type festivals, not just Samhain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I no, they, they also do it at Beltane, which is the, the sort of like spring equivalent to Samhain. Easter, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, man, you should see them. It's the most fantastic thing. Folk dance, uh, like uh, Morris dancers and stuff like that. It's, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> there's just absolutely, there's so, lots, there's so much um, that comes from Samhain. Uh, if you've ever heard of uh, a couple of traditions that you could divine who you're going to marry because I think mm-hmm. a couple of these made their way over to the states so one of them is to throw some hemp seed over your shoulder and then turn around and the first guy you see is going to be your husband yeah. hopefully he's not taken or related to you because that would be kind of awkward or you can carefully peel an apple in one unbroken strip and then drop it over your shoulder to the floor and it should fall in the shape of the first letter of your future husband's name. I've actually seen this been done uh, in, you know, a few old timey movies. Yeah. So I've definitely seen them in American old movies and British old movies. So that's one that's that that stuck around well into the 20th century that maybe we just don't have now but i think it probably survived into the 50s and 60s absolutely um the third one is kind of fun not for the snail but you can put a snail in the ashes of the dying sacred fire you know the bonfire in the middle of your town yeah and it should trace out the initial of your future husband as it flees from agonizing heat oh that's terrible (laughs) horrendous oh poor snail all of the sources that i got for that one just said like let it trace it as it escapes the fire and i'm thinking you're really downplaying that that poor snail (laughs) is the absolute 
like as fast as it possibly can get away from these embers yeah. trying to get out and you're trying to read the initial everybody's me everyone's gonna marry someone called ian at that rate <laughs> oh poor guys to be fair i mean snails are a a scourge to the average farmer so you know yeah i'm sure that i have a much more sentimental view of them than most of if you they could just dump buckets of snails onto the fire, they'd probably be pretty happy about it. Fuck these yeah. guys. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. So uh, I had another one. I have a couple others. Yeah, go for it. Divination games played in Samhain. One is to roast two hazelnuts near a fire. One named for the person roasting them and the other for the person they desired. If the nuts jumped away from the heat, it was a bad sign. But if the nuts roasted quietly, it foretold a good match. Ah. Yeah. There was also this thing where they would eat a salty oatmeal bannock was was baked. I'm not sure what a bannock is. I assume some type of bread okay. or or something. Could be a biscuit or a um yeah, like some kind of like small pastry type. Small, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Protisserie. The person would eat this bannock in three bites and then go to bed in silence without anything to drink. This was said to result in a dream in which their future spouse offers them a quiet drink to quench their thirst. Yeah. Um, Or you would drop egg whites into water and the shapes foretold the number of future children you were going to have. Mm. Kind of a fun one. But one that I really enjoyed was um, the placing of items in food. Okay. So items are hidden in food, usually a cake or bread, and portions of it were served out at random. A person's future was foretold by the item they happened to find. So like a ring would mean marriage or a coin would mean wealth, things like that. These cute little traditions that I absolutely adore and are still, that one in particular is still done um, by many pagans who still celebrate Samhain. And I imagine probably some um, Irish and Scottish households too. Because it's fucking cute. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the fairies. Aye. Well, do you know where fairies come from? Uh, Ish, but please tell me. Yeah, okay. So in order for them to get to our side, they have to go through a portal. So they can't just live here all the time. So the fairy folk that come and visit during Samhain have to come to our world, like, you know, through an airport kind of thing. (laughs) And. (laughs) <laughs> and we have them all over Britain, these little fairy terminals, if you will. Yeah. We refer to them as barrows. So people that uh, didn't quite understand what these Neolithic burial mounds were all over Britain thought that they were the portal to the other side. And during Samhain, it is believed that the fairy mounds, the barrows, mm-hmm were the terminal by which the fairies came to this side. And also, generally, the, the dead as well. So there's an idea that you can go to long, so go to barrows and go to these Neolithic tombs and actually communicate with the dead there. Yeah. So there is an example of this that kind of fits this theory. Um, it's a Neolithic tomb in Tara in Ireland. and with it's the best uh, name ever. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> why is it the best name ever oh god i forgot why i have it on my list hold on i want to say it because it's my favorite thing i was so excited i read it and i was just like oh this is my favorite thing shit where are you 
the mound of the hostages oh yeah that's it yeah Mm. and the reason why this fits in with the uh superstition is because its openings align opening aligns with the sunrise on Samhain much like how the uh alignment of Stonehenge appears to be astronomical as well uh, as do most um barrows and neolithic um monoliths and things like that they all seem to be astronomic astronomically aligned yeah. um uh, infamously stonehenge is the midsummer whereas here we've got a mid-autumnal which is sort of like end of autumn beginning of winter but there really wasn't spring summer autumn winter it was winter summer really back in the day yeah. um so but yeah that that sort of Samhain is the opposite of the sort of you know Stonehenge Stonehenge one yeah but yeah. it does line up so the one in Tara what's it called the the tomb of the the mound of the hostages that's great I didn't read that bit I just heard that it was in Tara dramatic um, as fuck and I love it do you know there are like 500 bodies in there at least I, I was gonna go delving into that because that would be what people would expect me to do would be to go and do like a case study but I just wanted to have fun and learn about yeah. Halloween this week so <laughs> Fair enough. Quick fun fact. What they would do is yep. they would cremate the bodies, spread the ashes and and some like um, burial, you know, pottery and, and, and goods and then lay a stone slab upon it. And then they would do that for another body. So you just have like this like layer cake of ashes <laughs> in stone. It's fucking cool. Sorry. I really love the Mound of the Hostages and uh, it fascinates me. Yeah, in some tombs all over Britain, they'd be mixed up with different animals as well. So you'd be going through the mounds, you'd find, you know, disarticulated body parts of humans along with like owls and, you know, sheep and again, pigs. So nice. there's lots of weird shit going on in the Neolithic, man. They were freaky people. I love it. But yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> you can do uh, one. I love it. Love it. So... We also mentioned that uh, food was a big part is a big part of Samhain and food is 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 a big part of most holidays. If you actually like sit back and think about it, feasting is a huge, huge social and cultural and it's just a really important thing to do. Mm -hmm. Feasting brings people together. Feasting um, serves all kinds of economic purposes. And Samhain is no exception to that. So. One of the things that you did during Samhain was you offer food to the dead. Mm-hmm. And that manifests in lots of different ways. Like you were saying, sometimes it was in the, the form of cakes and things like that. But there is also a sort of tradition of placing an extra place at the table for the evening meal for any relative who just happens to be passing by. Um, and that was for them to sit down and eat with you. Um apples and nuts are particularly popular offerings which they still are so think about uh bobbing for apples and things like that we're going to go a bit into that uh, later on actually quite soon but you know in a moment in a moment (laughs) so guising came from the idea that some people might not want to be recognized by the spirits Mm -hmm. for whatever reason and they needed to be incognito for the duration of the lifting of the veil. So they would dress up in different guises. Eventually, this guising evolved into a bit of a game. 
And those people would go from house to house asking for gifts of food, which I think, Melanie, you have a little bit on that. I do. So guising, yeah, initially it was mainly to, yeah, to not be seen by yeah. the dead that maybe you didn't want to be seen by. But again, also because of the the Ishi, the, the fairy folk, because they are mischievous things, the beings, if you disguise yourself as an animal or some sort of monster, they're less likely to take you. So it just sort of became kind of like the smart thing to do eventually yeah it turned into a thing where you would dress up in a costume and go to door to door and you would perform tricks so it wasn't so much tricking you in the sense of being a dick it was like i'll sing you a song i'll read you a poem i'll stand on my head if you give me a treat yeah like, the dick moves come later we'll talk about that yeah we have a there's a thing about <laughs> that <laughs> but what's interesting and i also found too was that it was predominant in um like catholic and christian practice to go souling which is very similar in the sense that they would go door to door not so much in costume but go door to door on all saints day or all souls day and offer their services in praying for the family or praying for their loved ones yeah in exchange for food and snacks and fruit and breads and whatnot so you have both you had the the pagan the Celts and, and our, our fun little pagan friends doing it for food and, and just to be fun and also to hide from the dead. And then you also had the the uh, the religious doing it to to be fed in exchange for praying for you. Yeah, so we're <laughs> going to get into shortly how the Christians come into all of this, because eventually, as you all are well aware, um, it becomes amalgamated into one holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll, we'll give you a bit of background on how that happened and why. So dressing up definitely started up, guising definitely started with the Samhain tradition of trying to um, disguise yourself from the uh, from the fairy folk and from the spirits. One of the fun ones was that if you didn't dress up as like an animal or a beast, you could just rub yourself in the ash of the sacred bonfire or from your own hearth. Oh. Yeah, so you could literally just rub it, the ash all over yourself and you became invisible, which is cool. Neat. So if you are looking for a low-budget Halloween costume this year, <laughs> just, just. just just rub some ash on your face. <laughs> Solid. Yeah, and, and if people ask you, just say, listen, I'm hiding from the ghost of uh, Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so legit. I love it. <laughs> so... Um, we've painted this very idyllic picture and I like to think of, uh, you know, the, the old Britons being all pagan and fun and doing this sort of thing. And I like to think that that's why when the Romans came, they didn't get rid of the celebrations. Mm-hmm. In fact, it seems as though the Romans, when they got here, they got here and said, I like this. In fact, we've got a festival on the 13th of August that is very similar for our goddess Pomona. Yeah. And she's the goddess of harvested fruit. Well, like the harvest and, and fruit particularly. And her her like symbol is the apple. Yeah. So it's entirely possible that because there's a similarity between, you know, there's this like uh, relationship between apples and Halloween already, that the Romans were just like, okay, cool. Uh, Pomona can be part of this holiday. Mm-hmm. 
uh, her symbol's the apple, and it's it could possibly be where we get bobbing for apples from, because the yeah. Romans really did like coming up with games and fun things like that, and it just definitely seems to me like the kind of thing Romans would do. Yeah. Uh, fill a bowl, a big bowl, which, by the way, the Romans had. They had massive urns that they would put wine in, so it potentially could have started by having wine in it. Ooh. Yeah. That so, sounds way more fun. Yeah, bobbing for apples in wine instead of water. Yeah, please yeah. sign me up. But your face would be all stained. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be fun. You'd be so drunk. It'd be amazing. You'd like <laughs> inhaling it. <laughs> That's a good Bordeaux. <laughs> I got. I think I got an apple. I'm not Dude, sure. I don't even care anymore. Where's my tooth? <laughs> So that's possible. It's speculated, but it it seems, I mean, the Romans like to come up with fun shit. So I like to think that that was kind of, you know. Yeah. But then at the same time, we really don't know. We really don't know. So that's a speculative yeah. thing. I mean, a lot of these origins are sort of like, we think, you know, yeah. we we assume we don't have, there's no hard evidence on, on the origins of almost all of this stuff. Which is is pretty interesting. It's pretty fascinating because I was I was trying, man. I mean, I know I don't have the the uh, the depth of of research that you you can do, but I was I was making a real hard effort and I couldn't find any solid origins on many of these things. Well, the thing but, is, is because they are so old and we haven't always yes. been writing it all down. Yeah. So all of a sudden somebody decides to write it down. It's the first occurrence of it in documents, but it doesn't mean that it's the first time it's ever been, you know, done. Yeah, I think most of the stuff was documented in like the 1500s. So like, and it's been going on for 1500 years before that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you, sp- uh, just to go back to the whole having supper with your dead ones, do you know what that one's called? No. Dumb Supper. Dumb supper. Because Dumb. you wouldn't talk. Exactly. Ah. Oh, would yeah. everyone be quiet? Everyone would be dead quiet. And the principle was is that you would keep the doors and windows open, particularly any doors facing east or north, facing a particular direction that I forgot yeah. to write down. <laughs> um, <laughs> you would keep the doors and windows open to invite the your loved ones in. The children would play silent games, such as bobbing for apples, or um, they would have a a rod hanging from the ceiling with an apple on one end and a candle on the other and, and try and bite the, the apple from this rod. While being um, chased by a flame. While being chased by fire, I assume. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then the adults would sit down at the table and then mentally, in their minds, tell their loved ones about the year past. So sort of like regale them about what had happened in the last year since they had last talked. But yeah, you you eat in silence with your dead ones and it was called a dumb supper. Oh man, that's great. Isn't that cute? Yeah, it's very cute. <laughs> Shall we bring in the Christians now? Bring in the Christians! This is an instance where I don't think that the Christian church were assholes. I've got to say. No, they, they had an agenda, but they weren't dicks about it no this is this is an example of trying to placate and assimilate exactly so we all know sort of now we've talked about the fact that it's tied in with christian holidays when did this happen and why 
so it happens in the in the eighth century so we're talking the 700s um they didn't waste any time to put this into perspective in britain the romans released britain from their control in 410 a.d and we tend to associate the arrival of christianity in britain with the mission of augustine in 597 a.d i love you you're so hot with all this <laughs> all this information so hot well if you want another little fact um that's when we associate the arrival of Christianity, but Christianity had arrived well before then, as yeah. early as the first century, probably with the Romans, and probably some of the Romans themselves were practicing Christians because the Romans weren't all from Italy. Yeah. Okay. The Romans were just, it was a group of people that sort of like went across Europe, uh, picking up people as they went along. It was just people under the rule of Rome, that's all. So by yeah. the time it got to Britain, you'll have had people from all kinds of religions mixed up all in there. And there's archaeological evidence of Christian iconography in the first century. But that said, there was no like attempt to convert the British into Christianity until Augustine gets there in 597. So in okay. the uh, sixth century and that's like the proper first christian mission okay so less than so we're talking like a hundred years later pope yeah. gregory decides to move the feast of all hallows which was on the 13th of may i was going to say it was may yeah to the first of november and it's widely believed that this was totally on purpose Sorry, that is obvious. It's obviously totally on purpose. And it was either to join the celebrations of Samhain with the very, very, very similar Christian holy day. Because that would make it easier to get chummy and more likely to get people to convert slowly into Christianity. It could have been to try to replace it completely. So the idea could have been if we move all, um, all Hallows to the 1st of November, people will stop uh, believing in Samhain, but it seems more like if they wanted to do that, would they would have banned banned Samhain and forced people to sort of. But they didn't really have that much control at the time. But it was yeah. just like here we've got this really similar holiday on All, All Hallows um, or All Saints Day. Let's mush them together, and hopefully, eventually, the Christian side of it will become more dominant than the pagan side of it. Well, yeah, and they they didn't seem completely against some of the fun little traditions that came with it. And they're like, you guys celebrating the dead? We're celebrating the dead. Let's yeah. celebrate the dead together. And maybe you can find Christ in the process. Yeah. Cool. It was different dead. The uh, Christians were praying to the martyrs and the saints and the saints. But they had no problem in allowing the pagans to be praying to their ancestors and things like that at the time the whole idea of um uh sort of forcing people to renounce their ancestors and take in the saints and things like that that does come later that, that comes later. christianity comes later but right now everyone's quite happy in the eighth century they're being mellow about it they're being pretty chill <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh you know they're both feast days as well so they would both have feasts so you're talking over these three days you'd be eating quite a lot of you know uh special foods yeah and well someone is already like a three-day celebration anyway so they're yeah. like yeah let's all just drink and eat together 
It oh, actually bro. sounds more fun than Christmas, if I'm honest with you. Right? Yeah. So we just mentioned that. So we've got the three days now. We've got the three days of Samhain, which is the 31st through the 2nd of November. All have their own traditions associated with each day, as do all the Christianized days. And somewhere along the line, they got mixed up and amalgamated. Mm-hmm. So Halloween was the Samhain day to appease the dead. The first day of November was the Christian day to venerate the saints. And the 2nd of November was All Souls Day, a day for prayers for the faithful deceased. And on All Souls Day, in observance of the Christian holy day, youngsters would go from house to house reciting psalms for which they were rewarded with psalm cakes or soul cakes. So yeah. here we've here's where things are, we mentioned earlier, and things are coming around full circle. Things are all getting smushed together, and it just makes sense to smush it all together. Mm-hmm. And that is the sort of history. My next bit that I have is coming into how we recognize Halloween today. So my next bit is about it going over to the Americas with the Irish. So if you have anything you'd like to add to any of the Samhain stuff, now's the time. All right, then. So before we go into modern Halloween, let's look at jack-o'-lanterns, huh? Yes. Yes. So jack-o'-lanterns, there's a few different thoughts on it. Again, that's another one that they can't quite pinpoint why, how, where, what. Um, I have a theory, but I'll talk about it later. Okay. So we do know that jack-o'-lanterns are faces carved into beets, turnips, pumpkins, or similar gourds. Um, If you look at some of the older jack-o'-lanterns carved into turnips... (laughs) They're pretty fucking terrifying. Have you ever tried to carve a turnip? I have not, but I've given it some thought, and I can't imagine it's easy. I can't even... I know. I can't even fathom it. I have enough time chopping it up to make me carrot and swede and turnip mush. I can't... No. No. They're too hard. Swedes. Swedes. They're another kind of root vegetable. Okay. Just as long as you're not eating Swedish people. Cool. No. No offense right. to Swedish people. Well, I thought you were a vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So quite a few thoughts as to why we carve jack-o'-lanterns. Some people think they represent will-o'-wisps or fairy lights, which are often seen over bogs. There is scientific explanation. For the most part, it's like, you know, the escaping of gases and they ignite yep. and get these bright little lights. They are cool, um, though. No, they're super cool. And for a long time, they were believed they were spirits that were either trying to lure you to your doom or if you followed them you'd find your fate or destiny again yeah, it depends the will-o'-wisps were were they they were mischievous sprites also they could be doing either at the same time yeah you were really you were really kind of uh taking a chance following a will-o'-wisp yeah i really think that with most i think especially in scottish and welsh traditions you stay clear yeah Oh, yeah, you want to, for the most part, yeah, keep your distance. But if you're feeling particularly like, eh, this one might be a good one. <laughs> if you're already up shit creek, yeah. you might as well. Can't hurt. Mm. How much worse did it get? Yeah. <laughs> so some thought that um, by carving a, a gourd or a turnip or whatever and putting a light or an ember in it, it was mimicking a will-o'-wisp so that you were, in fact, protecting protecting your home from other of the Ishi or fey folk during Samhain. Um, some Christians thought that it was uh, to represent souls in purgatory. 
But one of the most widely accepted reasons for jack-o'-lanterns is connected to a story called Stingy Jack. So, and, and also I want to kind of throw in for a while, they didn't actually light gourds outside of their homes. They lit them and carried them with them yeah. while guising. So let me tell you a little story about Stingy Jack. <laughs> there are many, many versions, and, and this story is not even specific to Ireland. You have this story, this kind of story in Russia, in a whole lot. It's, it's a very common folktale. But here's Stingy Jack. As the story goes, several centuries ago, amidst myriad towns and villages in Ireland, there lived a drunkard known as Stingy Jack. Jack was known throughout the land as a deceiver, a manipulator, and an otherwise dreg of society. On a fateful night, Satan overheard the tale of Jack's evil deeds and silver tongue. Unconvinced of the rumors and basically just wanting to know more about this malicious kind of uh, skeezy D-bag, the devil went out to find for himself whether or not Jack lived up to his reputation. Typical of Jack, he was drunk and wandering through the countryside at night when he came upon a body on the cobblestone path. The body, with an eerie grimace on its face, turned out to be... Satan! The oh, devil! No. Jack realized somberly that this was his end. Satan had finally come to collect his malevolent soul. So Jack made a last request. He asked Satan to let him drink ale before he departed to Hades. Finding no reason not to, uh, Satan took Jack to the local pub and supplied him with many alcoholic beverages. Upon quenching his thirst, Jack asked Satan to pay the tab on the ale. Much to Satan's surprise, Jack convinced Satan to metamorphosize into a silver coin with which to pay the tab. Satan did so. Impressed upon by Jack's unyielding nefarious tactics, <clears throat> shrewdly Jack stuck the now transmogrified Satan as a coin into his pocket, which also contained a crucifix. Boom! The crucifix presence kept Satan from escaping his form. This coerced Satan to agree to Jack's demand, so in exchange for Satan's freedom, he had to spare Jack's soul for ten years. Ten years later, to the date when Jack originally struck his deal, he naturally found himself once again in Satan's presence. He was like, yo, dude, time's up. Jack happened upon Satan in the same setting as before, and he seemingly accepted it that this was his time to go to Hades for good. As Satan prepared to take him to hell, Jack asked if he could have one apple to feed his starving belly before he left. Foolishly, Satan once again agreed to this request. He climbed up a branch to get an apple on a tree nearby. And in that time, Jack surrounded its base with crucifixes. Satan, frustrated at having been caught and trapped again, demanded his released. release. As Jack did before, he made a demand that his soul never be taken into Hades. Satan agree and agreed and set him free. Eventually, the drinking took its toll on Jack and he died. Stingy Jack's soul prepared to enter heaven through the gates of St. Peter, but he was stopped because he was not a good person. Never was. Just kind of awful. There was no way he was getting into heaven. So Jack went down to the gates of hell and he begged for admission there. Because anything's better than remaining wandering the earth. So Satan, fulfilling his obligation to Jack, said no. To warn others, he gave Jack an ember, marking him a denizen of the netherworld. And from that day on until eternity's end, Jack is doomed to roam the world between the plains of good and evil, with only an ember inside of a hollowed turnip to light his way. Right. I get two takeaways from that story. Yes. One, Satan sounds like a really nice guy. Because I, I know that this 
story refers to him as a fool, but I don't see him as a fool. I see him as somebody who's like, do you know what? I'm going to get this guy a drink. Do you know what? I'm going to foot the bill. Do you know yeah. what? This guy just wants an apple. I'm going to get him an apple. I'll get, to, I'll get him an apple. He's a nice person. Or person. Nice. Um, Thing. Uh, what? Thing. Thing. Yeah. Uh, there's a word for it that I'm looking for. Spirit. He's a nice. He's nice. Yeah. Um, that's one takeaway I get from that. That Satan actually sounds like a nice guy. He comes off really well in this story. <laughs> <laughs> Good press for the devil right there. Yeah. And secondly, how did Jack pay his uh tab the first time if he turned the devil if the devil turned into a coin and then he never actually paid with the coin oh i'm sure he just ran out okay there's just a little bit of a plot hole there that's all this is like an ancient story and this is just one of the kind of retellings the general principle being that he keeps tricking the devil firstly to just not let him die in that moment and then uh or to spare him and then to eventually to be like don't ever take my soul to hell yeah. The circumstances change in different stories and different tellings. That was just one that I, I find most common was the coin in the tree. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Right. That's potentially where we get it from. I have, um, when I talk about my local traditions, I have a little bit of a theory there as well. In oh, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. But before I go into my local stuff. Let's go into Halloween as it is. Yeah. Halloween uh of modernity if you will so the halloween festivities were most likely taken over to the united states by immigrating irish in the late 19th century Uh, they were forced out of ireland because of a famine that was being forced upon them by the british but sorry well by the english but we won't go into that that's a whole other thing but i'm sure you've heard of the potato famine Yes. Uh, so it's during this time that the, the Irish move over to the United States. They were Catholic and they take with them the Catholic sort of side of the Halloween festivities, as well as their very Celtic, if you want to use the word Celtic traditions that are amalgamated into it. Yeah. They, with that, you know, grouping of traditions was guising and going house to house for treats and the idea of doing tricks on Halloween well y'all ruin everything if I'm perfectly honest with you (laughs) for some reason once this sort of festival made its way over to the states it got changed into something a lot darker so as far as I can tell, basically kids started to be little shits on Halloween. And instead of doing tricks, they would play pranks. So yeah. there's a dif- I think there's a difference between a trick and a prank. And I also think that prank is a little bit of a um, a nice word for what they were actually doing. Yeah. Um, people, okay, so th- the, some of the pranks that I came across were that they would um, tip over and set fire to outhouses, destroy people's gardens, smash people's fences, throw things through people's windows, and just generally run riot on Halloween. Yeah. So people started to bribe them to make them stop. And the bribing is the sweets. Yeah. And the kids were like, cool, we can totally just like, m- like take advantage of this. Threaten so, you now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you're our little bitches. So they're still dressed up. Sorry, they're still guised. 
because they would be disguised because of the fact that they were, you know, causing um, property damage. They'd mm-hmm. need to be <laughs> disguised so you didn't recognize them. So the disguises, for a while they were doing these pranks, now came to be the disguises that they're wearing going door to door and they would knock on people's doors and say trick or treat and it wasn't so much as a fun like ah trick or treat it's literally you give me sweets or I'll fuck your house up yeah so (laughs) these kids would be like bribed with candy basically so that people could like go to sleep on Halloween and wake up on the 1st of November and their house be intact so this it was basically a like a looting and destruction and bribery and, and eventually bribery. Fucking hell, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's what's interesting I found is um let's see the the practice of guising at Halloween in North America or on our side of the pond uh, was the first recorded instance of it was in 1911 Mm -hmm. Uh, in a newspaper in Ontario, Canada reported children going guising around the neighborhood. When shit got really rough, they believe like when, when the vandalism started, when the tricks became malicious was around the time of the great depression. Yeah. That that's where they're kind of pinning that as being. Maybe because I read that it was, it's still in the 1880s that they were doing it. Okay. Yeah, so there's like a drunk histories that goes oh, nice. into this. Yeah, there's like a woman that I, th- I think she's in New England, and I think it's around the 1880s, 1890s, possibly the 1910s. Judging by the costumes, I can't remember what they were actually the the year that they actually said. But if you want to check it out, the episode or the segment of drunk yeah. history is actually on YouTube. So oh, you can check it out. And and she's the one that's kind of like credited with the coming up with the festivities of Halloween. Because okay. in order to do, sort of distract all of these little shits from what they were doing, she kept throwing parties. Hmm. So at these parties at Halloween, they would have all of that sort of fun fair stuff that you guys all know today, like candy apples and bobbing for apples and carving jack-o'-lanterns and all those kind of things that we associate with Halloween now. She kind of introduced in order to distract all of these kids from destroying people's property. And apparently it worked on the nights where she throws her parties all these kids would be there and they wouldn't be, you know, burning people's outhouses. Terrorizing the neighborhoods. Yeah, exactly. So, and I'm pretty sure that was the late 19th century. I imagine that the sort of idea of it never really went away and there was always probably some little subculture of kids still wreaking havoc. And it increased probably during the Depression because of desperation and contextually it was a really shitty time to be alive so you know well i mean even just immigrating to america uh they weren't treated particularly well so you know uh i have it written here that um you know it's believed that anglican colonists in the southern united states and catholic colonists in maryland recognized all hallows eve in their church calendars but the puritans of new england weren't having it yeah. Almanacs of the 18th and 19th century give no indication that Halloween was widely celebrated in North America, and it wasn't until mass Irish and Scottish immigration in the 19th century that Halloween became a major holiday. It was predominantly celebrated in the immigrant communities during the mid-19th century, and it was gradually assimilated into the mainstream society, so probably, yeah, because kids are being so shitty, 
Basically, Americans just gobbled up this adorable Irish shit. How quaint with their apple bobbing and begging at the door for food. By the first decade of the 20th century, it was being celebrated coast to coast. So, yeah, within like the 1910s, 1920s, that's when it was really took off. We were all kind of celebrating it unanimously, but it didn't become its own official holiday until around the 1920s. Yes. And that sort of cutesy biscuit box Halloween tradition of kind of dressing up in in, in in cute costumes and all that sort of thing that we know now, that's yeah. probably even later than that, the 1950s, 1960s. It 1930s, it started getting written up in articles as something that is fun to do. Uh, by 1936, I think it was, it was becoming more common practice. But yeah, it was roughly about the 1950s where, boom, everyone's yeah. treated. It's going to say post-war. Yeah. yeah. Because there will have been a lull during the war and then in the 50s and 60s when people were like, oh, we're not fighting Nazis anymore. We can breathe. Um, I yeah. know that this is America where it wasn't as intense, but it was still a thing. Oh, yeah. uh, so, you know, I think that by that time, also with commercialism coming in, capital, like, you know, and then in the 60s, you know, that you've got this consumer craze going on and then everything became very corporate. So as we know it today, it's just this massive, like, smorgasbord of pagan, Celtic, Christian, and then also capitalist ideas in America. Now, in back here in Blighty, Dressing up and playing games is a thing. The trick-or-treating is a thing. It's highly commercial. They stick the Halloween decorations out right after, well, I don't even know. You know, like, they go out, everyone has sweets. It's not as big. There are still quite a lot of curmudgeon people that don't uh, recognize or don't don't celebrate it. If there's no decorations on in a house, in yeah. a house you won't go trick-or-treating there. So you have to kind of be invited to trick-or-treat. And that's why it's it's not really common. In my, my town last year, I didn't get a single trick-or-treater, even though we were decorated. So it's just not really a thing. People like to go to parties. Yeah. Um, but they don't really like doing the door-to-door thing. The weekend before, like, we, I just went to Halloween Bingo last night. And we were the only people dressed up, pretty much. It was, like, me and my, my group. And then, like, two other people were dressed up. Oh, that's so lame. Yeah, it's really not... <laughs> I think it is, you know, in certain places, like if you go to bars and clubs and stuff in cities and major places, I think that it'd be bigger. But it's just really everyone kind of associates it with American capitalism. And to be honest with you, you guys aren't really that popular at the moment. So, um, yeah, so it's not really it is celebrated and people love it, but people kind of don't want to do it as big as the Americans do it and they kind of don't want to and also there's still quite a lot of people that associate it with the dead that kind of idea that it is a a sacred time of year if you will a spiritual time of year still lingers a little bit and people really do still think that it's the time of year where ghosts and shit happen so what we have more of is ghost hunting so Yeah, the, if you go on Google and you look up events, Halloween events, Britain, <laughs> or yeah. I'll, you know, like give you some specific places, nine out of ten of them will be, we're going to go ghost hunting at some hall. We're going to go ghost hunting in some haunted pub. We're going to go ghost hunting. And it's a time of year where people go ghost hunting. It's a very popular time of year to try to catch yourself some spirits. Yeah, to speak to the dead. 
Yes. Nice. So it's that, that, I think, is probably more popular than dressing up and trick-or-treating. Whereas we like to dress up like sexy, sexy nuns or cover ourselves in blood and walk Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, I feel, there's people still do that here, but I just, you know, I just think there's like a little bit of a tip where I think more people would much rather be in like a comfy jumper, um, but with like uh, their cameras going around a, oh, a spooky building yeah. than, than, than doing the whole, but there will be people that prefer other things. Personally, I like... I like this time of year to do spooky things. I like to use this time of year to tell ghost stories. I like to use this time of year to explore haunted places. I genuinely do because it's it's the perfect time of year for it because it's not too cold, hopefully, because yeah. we haven't gone into like the depth of winter yet. The night is creeping in about the right time, about 7 or 8 p.m. So you can be out in twilight hours. It's a perfect time of year to have bonfires yeah. because you won't be too hot because of the temperature of the planet, but you won't be too cold because we're not quite in winter. But things have been different over the last few years because of climate change. It is actually really fucking cold. And yeah. we celebrate on the 5th of November. We have a, another holiday, which has nothing to do with any of these celebrations, but we have Guy Fawkes night or yeah. bonfire night. And usually that night is quite, from my memory, it was always quite chilly enough for a coat, but not so cold that you couldn't be out in it all night. Yeah. But now it is so freaking cold. Some people can hardly, you know, if you're not right up against the bonfire, you want to go home because you're so cold. So it's kind of ruining it. But uh, this is definitely the time of year where I'm looking at different places and trying to think like, oh, where would I like to go ghost hunting? Because um, all the options are open to me because they're all open at Halloween. Yeah. Uh, that said, that, that so, so people, you know, just that take that little, you know, thing that even though I'm a skeptic, I do really, really like going ghost hunting. I find it really, really fascinating and really, really fun. <laughs> and it is a tradition around Halloween to do so. Yeah. So, um, I've not had a chance to talk about my local traditions. Talk about your local traditions, love. Are you sure? We're already yeah. running over a bit. I know, but it's Halloween. Okay. Come on. Right. Okay, fine. I live in Lancashire. And Lancashire is actually the root, the home of quite a few of the traditions that we've talked about. So... You might not have even realized it, but some of the things that you mentioned uh, find its root or at least uh, can find its first recorded instance here in Lancashire. Nice. We are, for some reason, really densely pagan in this area in terms of like um, superstitious practice, which is why I study it. Because California, sorry, because Lancashire's got this rich history of witchcraft basically mm-hmm. so there's no way that i can do this episode without talking about my uh local witches the pendle witches mm-hmm. okay before i go into the pendle witches um i'll just mention some of the things that we talked about earlier that have come from lancashire so the hemp seed and apple peel shit that's yeah. lancashire nice the All Souls Day tradition of going door to door reciting palms. That's a Lancashire tradition. And another one that I'm going to talk about after the Pendle Witches is one from specifically where I live, 
the part of Lancashire where I live, which is called the File Coast, um, a night called Teenlay Night, which is on Halloween. Nice. So I'll talk about that one after I've talked about the Pendle Witches. Or should I talk about it first? Talk about it first. I'll talk about it first. first. Talk about it first, and I'll talk about the Pendles afterwards. So, uh, I'm not going to tell you what town I live in specifically, but the your address. Place your address (laughs) in the podcast right now. Right. Okay. Fine. (laughs) Team Lay Night is celebrated a few towns, villages over, so maybe like one town over from us, in a place called Polton. And it was known as the Fast of All Souls. And it consisted of lighting bonfires on the hills encircling the village of Polton and Martin. Now, Martin is a part of Polton, but it's like Martin is kind of like the fells and the like, um, how would you put it? Like the sort of the mushy part and Polton is like more of the farmy part. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. mushy it's it's oh, what's the word for it um, boggy boggy yeah it's been built up now but at the time it was very boggy in fact where i live right now is a drained bog not bog the word isn't bog marsh marsh thank you thank you it's marsh uh we've got a a, a place called marsh mill here uh there's a anyway so this was all kind of gloopy area it was really goopy <laughs> Some of the best fucking words just came out of that last five minutes. Just saying. (laughs) Yes, well, well, I try. So all of the hills encircling the villages of Polton and Martin were, they built bonfires on them and they would make them really, really big and really bright and really hot. And this was in order to help the souls of their friends and family who might be stuck in purgatory. In the center of all the bonfires on a field in Polton, which in fact, the site of it, I drive through every single day I go to uni. Nice. So in this location, a circle of men would stand with a huge like bonfire in the middle and they would have bundles of straw raised on forks and they would be dressed up, guised, and they would be doing their they would do mummery and all of that. So they were dancing around in a ridiculous extravagant ceremony all around this bonfire and it was all about helping friends and family who were in purgatory guiding them to the the go back to where they came from kind of thing Aww. so the sad thing is i've never heard of this never heard of this tradition before i did my research for this i've never heard anyone reference it but it's totally legit because the thing remaining and this is going to be so typical the, the only thing remaining of this event is that the local mall is called the Teen Low Centre. Oh, funny. So where the where the field is where the um, men used to stand yeah. was the main event of Teen Low Night. There now stands a shopping centre called the Teen Low. Oh. So if... <laughs> Just get a bunch of uh, get a bunch of blokes in costume to just stand in the mall, the fire. It'd be in a yeah, basically in the middle of a booths or or you guys don't even know what booths is. It's a shopping. It's a it's a it's a posh grocery store. Oh, like a Gelson's or something. Yeah, 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 like a Whole Foods. Yeah. <laughs> 
So and there's just like a massive car park, and I literally drive past this every day, and I had no idea. I thought Teen Law was probably the name of the person who built it or the company or whatever, but no, it's named after Teen Lay Night. So, right. So that's my super local, like literally, next village over tradition. Yeah. Um, But. I did mention that I wanted to talk about the Pendle Witches a little bit. Luckily, I've kind of um, ripped off this information from a book called Lancashire Folklore by John Holland and T.T. Wilkinson, and this was published in 1882. And this tradition is known as the Lighting of the Witches, which can also be called Latting or Leeting Witches. So you can leet a witch, apparently, and that's some term I think people use now. Leet. Yeet. L-E-E-T. Leet. They do yeet. Yeet. Oh, okay. Well, that's yeah. I'm so out of it. I refuse to say it. This is like the first time I think I've ever actually said it in my life. <laughs> but yeet's a thing that kids today say. Okay, fine. Is leet, is that when everybody gets together... Uh, with all their computers and they play games in the same room but they're all on their own computer that's leeting isn't it i don't know if that's leading it but i can't remember the name of the term i think it is called leeting. wow (laughs) anyway this is the extract i think this is the extract from lancashire folklore all right it was firmly believed in Lancashire that the witches assembled on this night at their general rendezvous in the Forest of Pendle, a ruined and desolate farmhouse called the Malkin Tower. Oh, this is Halloween, by the way. This superstition led to another, that of lighting or leeting the witches. It was believed that if a lighted candle were carried about the fells or hills from 11 to 12 o'clock midnight and burned all that time steadily, it had so far triumphed over the evil power of the witches who as they passed to the malkin tower would employ their utmost efforts to extinguish the light and the person whom it represented might safely defy their malice during the season but if by any accident the candle went out it was an omen of evil to the luckless white for whom the experiment was made it was also deemed inauspicious to cross the threshold of that person until after the return from the leeting, and not then unless the candle had preserved its light. A Mr. Milner describes this ceremony as having been recently performed. So that was in 1882. So they were still doing this in the nine, you know, late yeah. 19th century. Now, this is where my theory comes in. Think about it. Wouldn't it make sense... If people had to take a candle and walk around the fells and walk up Pendle Hill or whatever, that they would want to put the candle inside something? Encase it inside? Yeah, protect it for something. So, though I've made, I've found no reference to anybody doing that, to me, that seems like a very logical thing to be doing in the middle of a very illogical ritual, right? Or even just in general, bringing home a fire from the from the bonfire, you'd want to encase it in something to make sure it didn't go out too. Yeah. Going all the way back to Samhain. Yeah. So it's, but if you're trying to ward off the the witches of Malkin Tower, of the, you know the Pendle witches, 
does it not stand to reason that if you're going to hide it inside a lantern or hide it inside something that you put like a scary face on it or you put the face of someone on it as well so by all accounts it seems that that would be kind of something you would do um there's still a tradition of meeting at the summit of pendle hill to this day uh which is specifically but now it's anyone who wants to go up yeah uh, and go up there and if you want to take a candle with you, you're going to stick it in a jack-o'-lantern. Yeah. So basically, if that fire went out, they were just never allowed to cross that threshold again. So they would just, like, never show their faces. I mean, the... Fuck that up. I was good knowing you. I, I just can't. <laughs> I think that there would probably be things that you would have to do, but that person would be considered um, hexed. Yeah. So why would you even do it? Yeah. Like, the <laughs> The whole thing really doesn't make any sense to me. Plus, uh, on top of that, like, I kept getting mixed up because people keep mixing up the Halloween with the uh, meeting at Malkin Tower. Now, there's an infamous meeting at Malkin Tower, right, that takes place during the the sort of, like, if you want to call it the the Pendle Witch's calendar of when they were first arrested to when they were um, executed. Um, and there was a meeting that took took place on Good Friday, which was where a few of the people that were apparently part of the coven met at Malkin Tower to discuss the arrest and potentially plot the escape of uh, Demdike, the, the main witch, um, yeah. Elizabeth uh, Southerns. And so there's there's the, there's the very infamous Good Friday meeting, but then people were kind of amalgamating it into this Halloween thing. But I think that what it is is that people believed that the witches of Pendle met at Malkin Tower every Halloween before they were caught, because um, Demdike was known as a witch for 50 years before she was arrested. But I just thought it was really cool that there's like this weird thing about walking up around with a candle for an hour while the witches of Pendle are like no leave me alone you know I've done this on purpose <laughs> I'm just testing you but don't actually do it yeah. apparently you're supposed to have good luck if you get back with your candle in place yeah. Essentially, and you have bad luck if it goes out. And I don't know if anyone's allowed to visit you after. <laughs> so that just about does it for me. I've got nothing else. I'm exhausted with facts. <laughs> there was a whole lot of little fae creatures. You had the the Dullahan, which are like the the headless horsemen, horsewomen, and they're you know predominant in a lot of different storytellings. Even so far as Ichabod Crane and the headless horsemen. Yeah. Uh, there. Yeah, but it takes, but, does it really take place on Halloween? I believe so. Oh my God, we've totally missed it. We could have yeah. done it. <laughs> there's seriously, there's so much around Halloween. But you know, if we do this for, uh, if we keep going with this podcast for a while, we can always throw Halloween stuff each year. Yeah, that's so. true. This isn't. Yeah, yeah, we can always do well, it next year. We'll do Dia de los Muertos and Dia de los Muertos. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess we'll stop there. Uh, seems seems about a good good approach to stop us, Johnny. We got a lot of stuff crammed in here, and that was yeah. fun. Yeah, I think this is quite a long episode. That's all right, because it's Halloween, and uh, it deserves it deserves a couple extra minutes.
of love. Okay. This is this is the gay Christmas. This is this is a witch's New Year. This is a it's a wonderful and important holiday to many many people. Yeah, because really when you get down to it, it's about communicating and respecting and remembering the people that we've lost. That and it's a day to let our freak flag fly. Yep. So Huzzah. to me, super important. One of the most important things that you can do. Yeah. So <laughs> if you have any questions, if you want to throw any cool tidbits or facts, if you want to tell me where I went wrong on something, I'm sure Danielle didn't because she's perfect. <laughs> Maybe. No, I, I think we did really good. I think this was really solid. But if you have anything you want to interject, let us know. Hit us up on our Twitter, our Instagram, our Facebook, Zombie Fishbowl or Zombie Fishbowl Podcast. We are what? Easy enough to find. Also, you can, if you have any suggestions for new topics, if you want to give us any stories that are relevant to either this episode or episodes before, please hit us up at our email, zombiefishbowlpodcast at gmail.com. We super appreciate it. As we said before, we are going to have a competition, so now is the time. Hit up Apple Podcasts, hit up Podchaser, hit up anywhere where you can find us. Leave us some reviews. Spread the word. And, yeah. Do you want to leave us with a quote? Well, yeah. Like I said, I have like five different quotes. (laughs) Pick a short one. I'll pick a short one. <laughs> this one comes from an author. I believe I believe she's an author. Didn't look too much into her because I picked this quote at two in the morning. So pardon mm-hmm. me. <laughs> but it's a cute one. And I'm, I want to leave on a cute note. So this is from Rochelle E. Goodrich. And it's a small poem. Haunt an old house. Ask for a treat. Laugh like a witch. Lick something sweet. Offer a trick. Wander a maze. Echo a boo. Exclaim the phrase. Normal's unnatural on Halloween. Oh, yay. Fun. Yeah. Get your freak on. Yeah. It's a good one. We forgot to pick a topic. Bollocks. Bollocks. I completely <laughs> forgot about that. Hold on. Let me open the random topic picker. Random topic picker. Random topic picker. You're a random topic picker and I'm gonna pick a topic. Greek and Roman mythology. Oh, yes. Now, I've got it grouped as Greek and Roman mythology there so that we can either talk about the Greek root or the Roman bastardization. It's okay. totally up to you. Ooh, this is a big one. We've got to figure out how we're going to... We, we may need to subdivide this into f- smaller topics, but we'll discuss this on our personal time because yeah. there's so much. I'm so excited. Yes. Okay. So that is it for this week. Next week is Greek and Roman mythology. Oh my God, I'm so happy. (laughs) (laughs) So that just leaves me to say, Melanie, don't panic. (laughs) It never works. (laughs) If anything, it makes things worse. I know. (laughs) I wasn't panicking and then I was. Bye. Bye.